Thank you, music team, for continuing to bless us and lead us into greater awareness of God's presence. How we long to be gathered together again, lifting up praises with one voice. And when that time comes, may we never take it for granted. Now let me attempt to answer the question that many of you have been wondering and asking, perhaps for months now, but certainly in the context of our study in Zephaniah. Is this current cultural moment, this global pandemic, being sent by God? Is this judgment? I believe this is warning, not judgment. We'll focus on God's judgment next week, Lord willing. You've been warned. I hope you've been following along with these messages because they are building upon one another. I thought it appropriate to take a layered approach because all biblical prophecy is layered in its fulfillment and application. Here's what we've covered so far. First, God is sovereign. He is in complete control. So we can never conclude that God is absent, aloof, or ignorant, or impotent. Not even in this global pandemic. That's the kind of arrogant thinking and attitude that brought on this warning from Zephaniah in the first place. And ultimately kindled God's anger more than anything else. Zephaniah 1, verse 12. At that time, I will punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Second, we are idolaters, every one of us. We covered this last week in more detail than anyone wanted. To say it succinctly, idolatry is a heart issue, not a hand issue. When we, like everyone who has ever lived, disregard God, dismiss Him, or arrogantly defy Him at a heart level, well, everything else that we might do flows from there. We need new hearts. We need pure ones. And God alone, the creator of life, has the power to recreate hearts. Incredibly, He offers that cleansing and healing and renewal. That's the gospel. So anywhere you turn in Scripture, you see the same story. Even in this often neglected little letter from the prophet Zephaniah hiding there in the middle of a big book, people disregarding God, trusting in their own strength and ability, living by pride, performing religious actions out of tradition or obligation, but not from pure hearts, and often for generations. And here's God not judging them, and thus the attitude. He's not going to do anything, yet God is never passive. He is always warning his people and our world. For centuries, God kept raising up his prophets and speaking through them, though they were ignored or dismissed or even silenced and murdered. And God was actively waiting, exercising his patience, for he is forever slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love beyond what any of us ever deserve, grace upon grace. God has not changed. His judgment will come against evil pride, rebellion against him. But his judgment never comes without warning. Jesus, the greatest prophet, warned the religious leaders of his day repeatedly. And decades later, he warned the seven churches through the Apostle John and the vision and revelation. Read those first few chapters and see if his words do not still apply today for us. So we must see ourselves in the story, people doing the same thing we've always done, disregarding God, trusting in ourselves, sometimes performing religious actions out of a sense of obligation or mere tradition. Jesus rebuked this kind of religiosity in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verse 6. Jesus said to these religious leaders, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, 
This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the traditions of men. Jesus quoting Isaiah, who spoke for God 700 years prior. Nothing had changed. And here we are now 2,000 years prior, removed from Jesus, and it still remains the same. This global pandemic that we're living through is a warning and a reminder, as are droughts and famines that ravish nations, as are storms and earthquakes that level cities, showing seemingly no preference or favoritism to the religious or irreligious, the pious or the pagan, God-fearers or God-dismissers. These are at the same time consequences and reminders of our broken and harsh world. Therefore, they are warnings. Have we ignored the warnings? Have we mistaken the way of the world? Or have we arrogantly dismissed the word of God? We must be awoken. We must not say God is absent or impotent. We cannot fully know his ways or methods, but we must be certain that he is always working all things according to his will. Ephesians 1.11 We don't like it, the pain, suffering, brokenness, and we shouldn't. Not what we were made for. But may we not be so myopic or so blind. We're living in far more normal times right now than what we had been living in maybe for the past generation, at least in the West, our insulated little bubble of affluence and freedom. The majority of the world today and throughout history is a world and a people in crisis, often simply trying to survive. You would not need to remind them that the world is a harsh and broken place when survival was and is their primary concern. Earthquakes and famines and wars and pandemics, they are awful, but they are regular to this broken world. Know this, church, living through times of crisis and suffering may bring us closer to God than times of abundance and comfort. So we don't often call out for rescuing when we're feeling safe and secure. When a people has no collective memory, it can grow dull. Just as Israel in Zephaniah's day had no collective memory of the presence of God with them. For example, the cloud and fire that led them out of Egypt, the God who parted the sea, who descended upon the mountain, who filled the tabernacle and the temple with his presence. They had no collective memory of the manna from heaven, God feeding them and providing for them, or the water that flowed from the rock and sustained them. These were but stories, perhaps even considered fables. Furthermore, they had no collective memory of God's word. The book of the law, what Moses had written, Genesis through Deuteronomy, it had been lost for generations. Imagine that. To modernize it, that'd be as if no one living today had ever held a Bible in their hands or had ever read any of its words or even heard it quoted. Zephaniah prophesied during the reign of King Josiah. Zephaniah's great-great-grandfather had been King Hezekiah, the last godly king of Judah. Zephaniah's brief genealogy is right there at the beginning of the letter. So it had been three generations since Judah had followed and lived by the word of the Lord. And it was during King Josiah's reign that they found a copy of the book of the law. You can read about that in 2 Chronicles 34. Likely Zephaniah prophesied before that happened. So no wonder their collective attitude was, God? What God? To be sure, there was a remnant People seeking after God. He always preserves a remnant. But the nation as a whole had gone the way of the world. 
worshiping and pursuing all kinds of gods, especially gods of money and power, pleasure and comfort. Sound familiar? Will we be the remnant or the arrogant? We like to consider ourselves the faithful remnant, but isn't that arrogant? Will we receive the brokenness in our world palpable now as warning? Jesus said we should. Back to Mark chapter 13, verse 7. He said, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. Jesus also rebuked religious people for being unable to read the signs of the times through a spiritual lens. As in, what was God doing? What was he revealing? And how did he desire for his people to respond? Gospel of Matthew now, chapter 16, verse 2 and following. Jesus answered them, When it's evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Zephaniah's prophecy is a warning if it is anything. Harsh words. Yet if we will receive them, there is incredible hope. When I read through this letter, as I have again and again, I'm struck by the significance and the relevance of the warnings leveled at Israel, at God's people, and at his warnings to arrogant nations. God's people were the first and the last in his crosshairs. Zephaniah chapter 3. Speaking of Jerusalem, Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. And her officials, officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. They leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy and do violence to the law. Is this not pride? She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust Yahweh. She does not draw near. Self-centeredness and selfishness, oppression against the weak, officials who are corrupt and unjust and ruthless. If only we could relate to having leaders or managers or bosses or ruling officials over us who are self-centered and corrupt. And prophets who are fickle, false prophets wavering between God and superstitions of sorcery or witchcraft, priests who do not hold the word of the Lord, Again, we can relate to religious leaders who are corrupt and hypocritical, who diminish or dismiss the word of God or only consider it as a guidebook and nothing more, who seek wisdom in ideologies and philosophies more than they seek God. And yet God's grace and mercy and patience is incredible. Back to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 7. The Lord says, Surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. And yet all the more they were eager to make all of their deeds corrupt. Wow. All these warnings strike close to home. We may be living 2,600 years later, but our hearts have not changed much. Furthermore, these warnings are leveled against a community, a people. We cannot simply say, well, I'm exempt from that one and that one. While on an individual level, it may not be egregious, but the right response is to recognize that the root of every sin and idolatry and evil mentioned by Zephaniah dwells within our hearts. 
We should humbly ask the Lord to reveal the impurities within our own hearts, to open up our eyes where we are blind to our own sin, and to give us clean hands and pure hearts. We must also be humbled that we are not merely individuals. We are a people and a part of a community. If you're a follower of Jesus, you belong to the people of God. And while we are not able to repent for the sins of others, we can and should take a posture of repentance and lament and confession as a people. Here's 2 Chronicles 7.14. It's been prayed often, especially in these times. I bet some of you know it. The Lord says, If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and would pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now true, this was a promise for Israel not necessarily for the United States or any other nation. And yet, it reveals God's heart and teaches a right heart posture before him. May we seek him and pray and repent like this. And as citizens of a country, a nation, we are not exempt from a people who dismiss and disregard God. Our current cultural moment of systemic racism once again being brought to the surface, we as individuals may have done nothing to perpetuate racism. Although, do not be quick to assume that. We all have blind spots to the collective we. But we can and should still confess and repent and lament for our nation. Okay, are you ready for the harsh words? You haven't started yet? No, I'm just getting warmed up. We are doubly under the warnings of Zephaniah and therefore God's judgment. As people of God, we are like Israel and should humbly receive these words leveled at them. And as Americans, we are a part of a pagan nation that does not follow God. God warns every nation and will bring judgment upon all the peoples of the earth. We must not be quick to dismiss the relevance of Zephaniah's words for our nation. God has not changed his mind. Nations that get comfortable and secure, fat and happy, who trust in themselves above God, are under his judgment and not long according to his word and by evidence of all of history. Only the arrogant say, not us. This is a time of warning and a call to awaken for our nation, for our world, and for God's people within the nations of the world. What did God warn his people as he was leading them into the promised land? He had rescued and delivered them from hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt. He had let them remain as desert nomads for 40 years to be dependent on him alone, to test them and their faith. Here's what he said to them, and what if this is what he's saying to all of us, to everyone, and especially in a season of suffering and waiting. This is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 and following. It's an extended passage, but I think it is so vital for us to hear today. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep his commandments 
the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey and abundance in which you will lack nothing. Skip down to verse 10. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? We'll receive that. Lord, may that be your word for us. The thing is, we had it. That was our reality. We weren't desert nomads before this pandemic. So his next words to Israel should be sobering for us. They are his warning to all who grow complacent. Verse 11 and following. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God and not keep his commandments and rules and statutes, which I've commanded you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Poignant words. The Apostle James would sum it up a little more succinctly. Perhaps you know this passage well. James 4, 13 and following. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Because in his sovereignty, God knows that abundance and fullness, security and comforts often numb our heart and dull our desire and need for him. He wants us to know that we need him and oh, we need him. We draw every breath only because he wills it, but he desires to be opening our eyes to this reality and to keep it ever before us. He is drawing us near in these times. For hungry and desperate people tend to pray differently than the comfortable and secure. I'm sure you know this from your own life. Jesus would begin his, the greatest sermon ever preached this way. In Matthew chapter 5, he would say this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, the empty. Blessed are those who mourn and lament. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who are persecuted and are suffering. That doesn't sound like a list of blessing. We are blessed because he is near to us in these places. He is well acquainted with our grief. And this is why God does not often step in and end plagues and famines or stop the hurricanes or calm the earthquakes, hold back the forest fires. He wills that the warnings would awaken and he meets us in this place. How about a more personal picture from the Gospel of Mark again, chapter 10, verse 23. Jesus looked around at his disciples and said, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. 
And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when Jesus says, enter the kingdom, he does not just mean escape the fires of hell, make it into heaven. He means entering into the kingdom life now, here on earth, to live in and walk in the kingdom of God. Wealth and riches make that incredibly difficult, he says. Because as it was for Israel in the promised land, as it was for Israel at the time of Zephaniah, as it has always been, when we feel secure and comfortable and that all that we can accomplish on our own, the work of our own hands, we will not have much need for God. Do you remember what precipitated this statement to the disciples? A rich man had come to Jesus and asked him what he needed to do to live in the kingdom of God. For he had followed all of the commandments of the law, he believed. This is verse 21. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Now we often focus on that second part, the incredible challenge to sell everything, everything we own to give to the poor. Now to be sure, this is description, not prescription. It's something Jesus said to this man, but the principles apply. Trade earthly riches and treasures for heavenly ones every day, all day. But don't miss this first line. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus saw him right through him to his heart, and he loved him. And because he loved him, he told him to sell everything. It would not have been loving for Jesus to allow this man to remain affluent, to allow the securities and comforts of wealth to own him, not the other way around. He had to be empty first to be filled. He had to be hungry and thirsty spiritually to be satisfied by what Jesus wanted to give to him, the true abundant life. Jesus is the greatest prophet, simply speaking what all prophets always speak, God's purposes and promises have not changed. He will always warn in many ways of what life and our future would look like apart from him. He is always slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But make no mistake, judgment is coming. He has declared it. More on that next week. What is our life? We are but a mist. So this is nothing new. Unprecedented times? No, just in our lifetime. And until Jesus returns, it will be the repeated pattern. The question before us shouldn't primarily be, is God in this? Has he sent it? Will he rescue us? The question should be, will we be awoken? Will we become hungry and thirsty for his presence and his provision alone? Will we be silent and waiting before him, longing to hear his voice? Zephaniah 1.7, be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Will we be humble? Will we turn back to him? That's repentance. Will we seek him in this time of warning? Zephaniah 2, verse 2. Before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord, before all this, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. Do his just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. 
What Zephaniah was uncertain of, we now know. We will be hidden from God's wrath and anger if we turn to Jesus, who took upon himself the full penalty of our sin. If we trust in him alone, there are many prayers we could pray, but the posture of our heart is what's vital. The Apostle Paul expressed his heart in a way that should resonate with all who know they are under the judgment of God and need his saving. If from your heart you can proclaim these words, you are hidden in Christ. And he will do and continue to do transforming work in and through us as we remain in this posture. Galatians 2, verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All that we once were or thought we were, all that we once trusted and believed that would save us, we renounce, we put to death that we might truly live. We need pure hearts and new lives. Thank you, Zephaniah, for bringing us harsh words. And thank you, God, for giving us hope. Now respond, church. Sing your prayers. Match the posture of your heart to the praises of your lips. For if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Love you. Miss you. See you soon.